are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich. We're coming to you live this week from the Grant Theater. That music you hear behind me is the Red Cedar Review. Brad Edwardson on the guitar and Aaron Firetag on the mandolin. I'm parked near the bay, the Choctahatchee Bay, eating salted peanuts, watching a hound dog take a swim. I shouldn't be here. I'm an adult. I have a busy schedule to maintain. I have errands, a grocery list, and I got a dentist appointment this afternoon. But I also have a coonhound who likes water. So I called the dentist to cancel. Cancel, the lady said on the phone. Is is everything okay? Yes, ma'am, I said. It's just that my dog wanted to go swimming. There was no answer. Yeah, I know, I'm batty. I really am. But Ella Mae lives for this bay, and it's been a while since I took her swimming, which isn't fair. God gave her webbed paws the size of basketballs. Swimming is her birthright, and I don't feel right depriving her of it. Today, when she saw the bay water through my truck window, she howled until I stopped the truck. Yeah, I am a softy, I know that. But I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't enjoy this. The fact is, folks from my side of the tracks have entertained themselves by watching bird dogs since the earth cooled. All my best friends have had fleas. When she crawls out of the water, she shakes, and I toss her toy duck again, and she lights out after it. I like wet dogs. I like them so much I keep beach towels in my truck for such occasions. I also keep treats in my truck and leashes. We're joined at the hip, me and my dog. It's no exaggeration to say she likes to keep me within sniffing distance. Once, while I was repairing our roof, Ella May attempted to crawl the ladder behind me. She got stuck in the rungs midway up, and it took an hour to get her down. Once, I found Ella May chewing something in our driveway. And in her paws was an open packet of beech nut tobacco. I hollered at her and told her to put it down. She only lifted her head and spit. And I let her be. Because the first rule of dog ownership is never come between a dog and their chewing tobacco. But she's part of my life. In the evenings when I pull in our driveway to see a floppy-eared silhouette at our window... I feel good. And when she lets out this low-pitched howl that originates in her belly, I believe she feels good, too. Anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you about this animal. Maybe it's because I don't have any wallet-sized photos of kids who look back at me. There are no Little League uniforms in my dryer, and I have nobody to teach to hold a fishing rod. There are no grade cards in my refrigerator, and there's no reason to wake up early on Christmas morning. The guest bedroom my wife and I once promised we'd paint pink or blue is used for storage. And so it's Elame. Elame. She gives affection when I'm not in the mood, which is when I need it the most, and she sleeps beside me. She eats what I eat, she lays by my feet, and when I'm away, her world is purgatory. And when I'm home, 
there's reason to howl, to bark, to turn in circles and get excited. Dentists and errands can wait. I'm playing fetch with my daughter. It was a cold, cold year. I do remember that much. Very, very cold. Unnaturally cold. I remember riding with my father on the way to his job site and seeing the fields outside our windows completely covered in white. Very cold. When we got to the job site, he turned on the space heater, which was about the size of a bread box. He turned it on and it did not do anything to warm up this construction trailer. So he did what any man would do when trying to warm himself during cold, cold weather. He went to a small refrigerator in the corner and he got himself a beer. <laughs> My father was like any stick welder. He used beer to warm himself and he used beer to cool himself down. And there was ice hanging from the corners of this construction trailer. Big, long icicles which were marvelous to look at, but quite mysterious in some way. We hadn't seen many of them. The only ice I'd like to see is the kind that goes in my iced tea. <laughs> this day, my father was sipping beer, and he was sitting at a desk in a construction trailer looking over blueprints. The kind of construction trailer we were in was cheap. It had wood paneling on the walls and fluorescent lights. It had linoleum floors. And my father had a ham sandwich in his hand. While he was looking at these blueprints, the ham sandwich was dripping with mustard. My family hearkens from German descent. My father used mustard on everything from ham sandwiches to loose door hinges. Loved the taste of mustard. And there was so much mustard on this particular sandwich that the pieces of bread were slipping and sliding around on the ham. I also remember that I was sitting at a desk behind him watching a small portable television set, which my father had brought with me. Since it was the weekend, he took me to work with him, and this portable television was his answer to a babysitter. I sat at this desk while he worked, and I watched... Andy Griffith. I can remember the exact episode that I saw. And I've seen this particular episode at least a hundred times. It's the one where Aunt B makes pickles. And they come out god-awful. And Andy calls them kerosene cucumbers. It is quite possibly my favorite line in all of television. Kerosene cucumbers. When I was 16 years old, I was part of a country western band. Not a single one of us had any business playing music. We were just about as bad as kerosene cucumbers. When they charged me with the task of naming the band, I named us the kerosene cucumbers. The band lasted exactly four weeks when the lead singer ran off with the bass player's girlfriend. And I was left with a big cardboard box of mail-ordered Cowboy hats, bolo ties, 
and red western t-shirts which were embroidered with the words on back on a satiny surface, kerosene cucumbers. I took that cardboard box to the thrift store, to the Goodwill. And it was months later, on Easter Sunday, at the Baptist church, when I saw an older couple with white hair, seated a few rows ahead of me, and they had these red satiny shirts on. I got closer to them after the service was over, and I realized that on the backs of their shirts, it read in embroidered text, kerosene cucumbers. <laughs> and I approached the old man, I shook his hand, I wished him a happy Easter the way Baptists do. He's risen, and he replied, he is risen indeed because that's the only way to reply. And I asked him exactly what did kerosene cucumbers mean. And he said, oh, this, this, is, a, this is a high-end brand of clothing that we picked up when we were out in Texas last year. <laughs> kerosene cucumbers. Anyway. If you ask me, the Andrew Griffith Show is the greatest American pastime this country has ever known. Second only to baseball and the lawnmower race championships in Carbon Hill, Alabama. <laughs> and I've felt this way for a long time. This particular day, I was watching television. I was lost in this episode while my father drank a beer and looked over the blueprints that day. He was a boss man. Now to men like my father, there were two kinds of people in this world. There were grunts and there were boss men. The boss man. The boss man was the man who sat in the construction trailer on the weekends. And that day my father was filling in for his boss who was out of town. It was probably the highest form of responsibility he had ever had. Even so, I paid no mind to him while he ate his sandwich and mustard was dripping off. The television in front of me was turned up as loud as it could go. I like to listen to my televisions very, very loud. I always have. It's always been an affliction of mine. I inherited this also from my father. And the reason we listened to our TVs so loud was because my father was half deaf in his left ear. A series of ear infections had left him with hardly any hearing in that ear. And I myself am partially deaf in my right ear for the same reason. A series of ear infections during my childhood left me with some hearing trouble. Some boys inherit cleft chins, athletic prowess, or charming senses of humor. I inherited chubbiness, big feet, and moderate deafness. My ear infections are only a hazy memory now. All I can remember is pressing silly putty into my ears before I took baths or laying awake at night and listening to my ears ring like a choir of crickets. I kept turning the volume up on this small television until it sounded like the speaker was going to tear. My father looked at me and he said, do you mind turning that down? I'm trying to work. He was taking his job seriously that day. 
It's not every day a grunt stick welder gets the opportunity to play boss man for the day. I turned it down a little bit, but I could hardly hear it. My mother first realized I was hard of hearing when I was a toddler. We were on our way to church, and I was out in the backyard making my specialty, organic mud pies. She yelled my name and told me to get ready, and I didn't turn when she called me. I was too busy assessing my culinary creation for texture. She came into the yard, she grabbed me by the shoulders, and she says she shouted my name, and I only blinked at her and offered her a slice of pie. They put tubes in my ears. I don't remember much about that period of my life, except the vague memory of bloody pillows. I do remember, though, a hazy, hazy memory of a white-headed doctor in horn-rimmed glasses who said, Do you like orange bubblegum, old-timer? Just before... He gassed me with orange-flavored laughing gas. And all I can remember after that is that my right ear has been ringing ever since, and I don't like orange-flavored anything. Life lesson number one, never trust a doctor in horn-rimmed glasses. <laughs> Still, I wasn't as deaf as my father was. Compared to him, I'm a, I'm a German short-haired pointer. Daddy was so deaf that he had to lean close to people when they talked to church, after they'd say something to him, he'd lean in real close and he'd say one of two things. He'd either say, sir, punctuated with a question mark at the end, or he'd say, how's that? My father was intent looking over those blueprints. This was his shot. And his little boy was behind him listening to a television that was loud enough to break the sound barrier. The Andy Griffith credits rolled, and I have seen every Andy Griffith show ever made, and I could almost close my eyes and roll through those credits. Directed by Bob Sweeney, written by Dave Adler, produced by Aaron Rubin, music by Earl Hagen. But it was the whistling on the TV speaker that was so loud that my father sat up straight, and he said, Could you turn that damn thing down? Well, I could tell he was taking this opportunity to be boss man for the day, Seriously. And he leaned in close to me. He said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be grumpy, but I don't want anyone outside the trailer to hear that, that noise from the TV. I don't want to get in trouble with my boss man. My father and his boss man didn't really get along. It was something I knew very, very well. My father talked about this boss man of his every night at the dinner table. He was a hateful little man with graying temples who was about a foot and a half shorter than my tall, lanky father. And he treated my father terribly. And almost every supper time, when my mother would set the plates of food down on the table, my father would begin his conversations by saying, Do you know what that some bitch did today? <laughs> it was always something new. Before my father was able to finish instructing me to turn that television down. His true nature came out. And he did what all American men do when confronted with black and white glowing images of the Andy Griffith television show. He took a sip of his beer. He propped his feet up on that desk. And he watched Barney and Andy save the day. Nobody can resist an Andy Griffith episode. I have met people who claim they do not like this television show. 
but upon watching two or three episodes, preferably the episode where kerosene cucumbers are mentioned, they are converted instantly and they will go on for the rest of their days wearing an Andy Griffith t-shirt beneath every piece of clothing they wear. And so my father and I became father and son instead of boss man. And boy, and we watched Andy Griffith and my father cracked open a beer and he let a load off, which was quite unusual to see a workaholic like my father do. My father took jobs wherever and whenever duty called. To give you an idea of what that means, in five years we had lived in seven different places. Of course, the idea was that one day he would be promoted. Someone would see how hard he worked and make him into the man who didn't punch clocks and bundle up during the ice-cold weather to work outside, dangling from iron skeletons that were soon to become commercial buildings and skyscrapers. But one day he would be a boss man, God willing. He would sit inside a trailer pushing a pencil, eating prime rib, and trimming his toenails whenever he felt like it. <laughs> My father was watching this television with me. We were laughing at all the jokes that go on between Barney and Andy. My father grinned at me and said, Turn it up. And while he sipped his beer, there was a knock on our trailer door. And I'm ashamed to tell you that neither my father nor I even heard it. No, we only saw a square of daylight peek through the open door. And there was a shadowy shape in the center of this obelisk of light which projected on the linoleum floor. And it was my father's boss man. He stood with his arms crossed looking straight at my father who was leaned back watching a portable television of black and white with the sound cranked up high enough to affect the climate. And the man's look toward my father was hideous. My father nearly fell out of his chair when he saw the man standing there. And then he hung his head and he took his licking. And his licking was a stream of obscenities coming from that small man. That man was criticizing him for wasting company time. And for bringing his child to work. And a television. The nerve. The man shouted at my father, and I had never seen anyone shout at my father before. And the man walked forward to my father while he was shouting, and he placed his hands in the center of daddy's chest, and he pressed just hard enough to make my father stumble backward. It was a push. He pushed my father. And daddy didn't do anything but take a few steps backward. He didn't move. He didn't clench his fists. And my father was the kind of man who would have and probably should have clocked that little guy. My father was not yellow. He was the kind of man who taught me how to swing my fists against a round hay bale in a pasture. And he'd say things like, keep your thumb inside your fingers. You don't want to break your thumb while you're cleaning some fellow's clock. He'd say things like, don't you ever start a fight. I don't ever want to hear that you started a fight. But if someone starts one with you, you better make sure that joker is sorry he ever did. But Daddy wasn't practicing his own ideology. He didn't bring his eyes up from the floor. He didn't look at that man with a clenched jaw. All he did was hang his head and nod it and apologize 
hands in his pockets, face serious and solemn, and he'd say things like, yes, sir, and no, sir, and I understand, sir, and it embarrassed me for him. But that's, that's what it's like when a lowly worker is standing before your boss man. Now my memory starts to fade here. I can remember my father's friend Rick carrying that portable TV to my father's truck. I remember the workmen gathering around Daddy and saying things like, Go kick his ass, John. You ain't have to take that. Go kick his ass. And my Daddy would say things like, Nah, I need this job. We rode home in silence, and he draped his arm out the window, and we, we drove the endless series of gravel roads and dirt paths which led home in the setting sun. And I don't know what he was thinking about. Well, the truck pulled into our driveway, and he turned it off, and we sat for a while. With nothing but the crickets of our own deaf ears to serenade us. I saw his mouth move. But I couldn't hear him. He was talking too quiet, and it's almost impossible for me to make out what somebody's saying when they're talking quiet. But I remember that his face looked older than a man his age. He wasn't yet 40. He was only a few years away from dying, even though we didn't know that at the time. He was a young man. He was in his prime, but he looked a 100. Misery can age a man a lot faster than cigarette smoke. And while he spoke, those lips were moving and forming words which I did not understand. And I said, sir, just like he would have done. And his face broke and he smiled a little bit. He leaned forward and he said, I just, just wanted to know if you'd do me a favor, Tiger. He always called me Tiger. Even though we have absolutely no affinity for the Auburn Tigers. He said, Tiger, please don't tell your mama about what happened today. I looked at my father, a strong man, and he looked human. A quiet strength in his face. Despite all his troubles on that particular day, he had shown tremendous strength. He'd held himself in a corner. He'd held his tongue and he'd let that little man shear his hair off like a farmer shears a sheep. My father leaned toward me and he patted me on the shoulder. And he said, ain't that Andy Griffith show something? Kerosene cucumbers, it always gets me, always gets me. Kerosene cucumbers. It would be a great name for a country western band that sucks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sean of the South. I'm your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a pleasure. Hope you join us next week. That music here behind me is the Red Cedar Review. Aaron Firetag on the mandolin and Brad Edwardson on the guitar. To find out anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, you can please some of the people some of the time. You might please most of the people most of the time. But you cannot assault anyone in public without them pressing charges. Adios. 